You're listening to the Bitcoin.com podcast. Our guest today is Alan Gorin, founding partner of Draper Gorin Home. This episode is brought to you by the Tonio Block Card. Earn up to 6.38% back on every merchant purchase with no limits. Block Card is the easiest, cheapest, and best way to use your cryptocurrency to buy what you want, when you want at over 50 million merchants globally. Blockcard has no exchange fees, no deposit fees, and no transaction fees. You can sign up at getblockcard.com, deposit funds, and instantly get access to your virtual card. We'll mail you a physical card too. You can also sync it with Apple or Google Pay. If you hold cryptocurrency, then you need to get Blockcard today. Visit getblockcard.com. I'm your host, Dustin Planthold. Join us as we dive into the world of economics, politics, tech, Bitcoin, and cryptocurrency. For even more crypto-related news, sign up at news.bitcoin.com or follow us on Twitter at Bitcoin.com. Now let's bring on our guest. Welcome to the Bitcoin.com podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. So, uh, so happy to be here. So, so tell us, like, how did you get into crypto and, and who is this Draper Gorin Holm? <laughs> so, so my my journey in crypto is is uh, uh, like like most people in the space. It's it's long and and uh, some sometimes boring, sometimes interesting, but also uh, kind of sad from my perspective because I didn't participate uh, as meaningfully as as I wish in hindsight I would have. Uh, yeah. But uh, I give this big presentation sometimes to these uh, to you know investment firms or or different groups that that we talk to. Um, and talk about the whole crypto roller coaster, and then alongside it, I show where I was at those various points in time with Bitcoin's price in the corner. <laughs> um, just to, this, uh, but then on each one of those slides, I was like, and I still didn't buy any Bitcoin. <laughs> it did um, go in. Uh, but but in uh, the real sort of start for me that I can really there's sort of like proof uh, uh, and and where I took it real seriously was in 2013, we were uh, launching a company in the crowdfunding space. And in crowdfunding, one of the biggest hurdles at the beginning, and at this point it was called crowdfunding, but before that we called it just social fundraising. Um, the biggest problem were that the payment mechanisms were too expensive, and they still are, but you know they just weren't uh, robust enough yet. Stripe didn't exist. Uh, we were at the conference when PayPal launched uh, a service called PayPal X, uh, which was adaptive payments. It was the first time one of those payment softwares allowed you to split a payment. So like I, as the website operator, could take in $100 and send $99 to one person and $1 to another person. And that didn't exist before. So we had to actually build software to take in all the money. We had an escrow account that was like, you know, legally verified and all that stuff. And then we had to essentially be the bank in the middle that moved you had the to money. Create it. Um, so you, yeah. you were developing something new and innovating. Yeah, we, we basically were, we didn't even realize that blockchain fully existed at that point. Yeah, and it really didn't, right? It was very, not that it didn't, it just, it was too early. But 2013, at that time, we we heard about, we had heard about Bitcoin and we had heard about, I think, towards the end of the year, Litecoin launched. Um, and we had built in our office because we're like, this is going to solve the micropayments problem. We can't pay 30, 40 cents for every transaction when people are transferring a dollar or two on the internet. So we thought um, this could be the solution. So we actually built a mining rig in our office. 
um, wow. using a bunch of graphics cards. What did that and things thing like look that. like, man? Was it like a big monstrosity? It, or? it looked like a it looked like a milk crate with with like four, with a with a motherboard in it for uh four uh, graphics cards and a box fan That's against cool. it. That sounds really neat. We cranked, yeah, we cranked the AC up in our office uh to to cool it down but we were still heating up the office and we you know it full full transparency the office was was like the size of a mop closet with six people sitting on top of each other in it. We're we're in full startup mode. And um and uh our landlord at the end of the month came to us with the electricity bill for the whole office building, which wasn't a big office building, but there's probably 20 units in it or something. Yeah. And the electricity bill for the building was more than our rent was for that month. And he said, you know, he forced us to pay it, otherwise we're out. Oh, and boy. so we paid the electricity bill that month, realized uh, you know, it was uh, it wasn't really uh, going to work out. And we, we in the process of playing with with Litecoin and Bitcoin, realized it wasn't for mainstream adoption. And or at least at that time yet, it was just too early. And we didn't really because we were running a company, we didn't really do anything with crypto at that point for a few more years. Um, but in between, um, we got educated about it a lot because one of our first clients at that company was, um, you know, now getting to, to the Draper part of it, um, was Adam Draper, Tim Draper's son. So Tim, we met, um, uh, because he was an investor in an accelerator program that we were a part of called Amplify. And we sat down with him and that day he introduced us to his son who flew down the next day and we helped him launch something called Boost Funder. And Boost Funder was uh, sort of like AngelList is today. Yeah. Um, their their tagline was the startup marketplace, and um, the idea was to help people crowdfund for their startups on the internet. But it wasn't totally legal what they were doing at the beginning or what they wanted to do. And in the process of getting that off the ground, um, uh, he went to so many accelerator programs and things like that. He ended up sort of pivoting and launching Boost. Um, so, so Boost Funder came down and he launched Boost and very quickly after the first or second um, cohort of companies he did at Boost, he exclusively focused on Bitcoin. And so I've been to almost every one of the um, demo days that Boost has done. So I got to meet a lot of those early companies before anybody really, you know, knew what Bitcoin was. Yeah, before it started to take uh, off. Yeah. Yeah. And so 2015, uh, I had Adam come up here next to where I live. I live north of Los Angeles. And we did like a talk about Bitcoin to a group of people in the area called 805 Startups. And there was a few hundred people in the room and we were talking about how Bitcoin could change the world. But even then, uh, <laughs> I still didn't really buy it in, in terms of, you know, investing or anything that I was just a nerd that was very excited about the, the, the potential that it could it could bring. Um, but cut to about mid 2016, the, my company had, had sort of run its course and I had, I was joining a, one of the funds who invested in my company as a, uh, as a venture partner. And we had, um, for fun, Joseph and I, who were running two separate businesses, Joseph is the home in Draper Garnholm, um, uh, had one of the largest, um, uh, crowdfunding conferences in the world and the crowd it was called crowd invest summit and crowdfunding all of the people in that space were either sort of you know it was starting to 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 die in some ways because it wasn't happening the way people wanted it to 
and they were going in kind of a couple directions. Some were were growing their businesses to be really exciting things like like Prime Trust and Verify Investor, who are now you know heavy in the crypto space. And uh, then there is sort of the other direction on the hyper regulated side, like the the real estate people. But Joseph and I were not not super into crowdfunding anymore other than we love the general idea of it and why we thought it was so important but the rules and regulations in the united states threw a big wet blanket on Probably that very industry. challenging to work um, yeah it was it was just you know I, how I, I just you know we were joking like how many times can i go on stage and and yell at my friends about how how the you know the regulation was un-American, how it was unfair, and how it wasn't okay. Um, and so you know, and and I'd constantly be getting mad because some of the people they were trying to be very political about it, right? They're trying to be, you know, um, say you know the government's trying to you know do something that's going to help people, and it takes time to roll back you know these things or to change accredited investor rules. And, and it was, you know, I, I thought that was BS. Like, that's not okay. The, the, the fact that there is an accredited investor rule just is not fair. Um, so anyway, we, we, talking about that conference event, we decided to actually rebrand that conference at a certain point to Crypto Invest Summit. Because at this point, we were, we were in the space. We own Bitcoin. We, we wanted to be more... Um, we wanted to participate more in the space, and the fund that I was a part of was actually launching a crypto fund. Um, I ended up bowing out of that fund and starting Draper Goren Home, which at the time we just called Goren Home Ventures, uh, because you know our expertise is in early stage startups, and we wanted to do the venture model for early stage startups. So and that's to grow your focus. Yeah, that's our focus. We're not traders, so we're not buying Bitcoin one day, selling it the next day, buying back in, you know, things like that. What we're doing is investing in companies who we believe, you know, will grow and and change the world within this space. And so, you know, we're very, very long uh, um, on on all of it. And so um, that's what do you look to? And so you're you're an investor in, in an emerging space. I mean, a new asset class, one might argue. What do you look for exactly in these companies? Early stage or are you looking for, for companies that have been out for a while? I mean, what is the, the right kind of investment for you? So, so for us, we're very much all about the, the individual. We, we are actually super early and we write the first check uh, to a company. Uh, it, it's usually a pretty small check. And it's it's to start working with them and to get going. And we're very hands on. So we are a lot of times the first check into a company. And our investment is a lot more about the time and effort and work we put into the company than it is the dollar amount. Um, and we we try to grow those companies to a certain point and help them sort of uh, amplify everything that they do. So so we are very, very hands on, like I mentioned. Um using all of the, the media connections we have, using the the marketing opportunities we create and, and amplifying everything that they do on, on a bunch of other fronts with investors and things like that, we, we help grow the companies and sort of get them out from 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 where where we're at that accelerator incubator stage to to sort of stand alone and growing beyond. 
And so it, it's all about the people at that stage. It's all about knowing that we're going to be locked in a room with these people for the next 10 years. And do we yeah. want to be because do we like the people and are they addressing a really great and, ex, you know, exciting problem. So solving and, problems yeah. then is really the focus. I mean, what sort of problems does, let's talk about blockchain. What sort of problems sure. does blockchain solve? <laughs> well, we're, we're, we are probably preaching to the choir here, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, that, there's, I talk about the, that I talked about the crowdfunding world and the accredited investor rules. And there's sort of two sides to it. There's the, the super DeFi side where we're just completely going around regulation and going like, you know what, if the rules don't work here, I'm going to create a digital jurisdiction and wherever we are, whether it's on the internet or a physical place, that that's the jurisdiction, right? And there's ICOs and there's Bitcoin, and it you know, it's it's sort of impossible to unring that bell. Uh, but <laughs> on the on the uh, on the sort of opposite end of the spectrum, there is the regulation. I do live in the United States. I'm not going to break securities laws because I have a family and I, and I don't want to get in trouble. Um, but uh, technology can make things more transparent. Whether you're tracking it all and you're tying it to an ID or whatever, um, you can make techno this technology can make a bank more transparent, can make regulation more transparent, could make it so that even though you can't circumvent it in the jurisdiction that you're in or participating in or choosing to participate in, you can streamline it. So you can make sure that Wells Fargo can't cheat you because you can actually see what they've done and see what accounts they've created in your name or whatever, if they were to adopt a technology like this. But what you can also do is create automation and tools and streamline the process of, of actually enforcing those regulations. So like one of our companies, uh, Onera, basically built a blockchain made for the enterprise, made for digital securities that are regulated and every node in the network is a regulated financial institution. And if you told me that that was going to be the end all be all in the crypto space, I, I would be, it would probably piss me off, right? I'd be like, that that's not okay. Like we don't want the regulated financial institutions to be in charge of the network. <laughs> that's kind of where we're at right now. Yeah. Um, but, but what's really, really exciting about it is that you can look at that and go, okay, well, if uh, Goldman Sachs isn't in, in charge of, doing their IPOs right now anyway. And this is the way more transparent, more streamlined, more fair version of all of that, um, then that's a good thing. I mean, doesn't and it I, hurt them ultimately? <laughs> I mean, if you're raising money, let's say crypto or through a, an ICO or, or some other form, that it's you don't pay the same fees and the bankers of the institutions, they don't get to collect the same amount of fees, right? Sure, but if they, they so they have to look at that and go, is everyone going to completely circumvent us or are we going to join in and find a new way to participate? And I think that this is the new way that they can participate and the cat's out of the bag in some ways, uh, they'll be circumvented and they won't get the fees and that'll be that. And they can't sort of participate there, whether they like to or not. And the only thing they could do is try to get, lawmakers to enforce regulation that that's unenforceable uh, to anyone outside well, let's of the ask, country. I want to talk about that a little <laughs> bit of the, yeah. you have a space that was created by, I mean, let's just say that this space is 
people that are protesting their own version of a protest against something or, or some group of people that mm -hmm. now the governments around the world have kind of jumped in and they're trying to take it over. At least that's what it appears from the outside. Is that, is that happening? I think to the, to the sort of, um, to the, to, to the sort of masses, it, it looks like that. I think to the governments, they either think that they're doing that or are trying to portray that they're doing that, but they can't. Like, I, I mean, uh, like if we were looking at Bitcoin specifically, they can't stop. It. Um, what they can do is they can, you know, say they're stopping it and try to enforce regulation. But usually every single time that somebody like Brad Sherman goes on TV and pretends like he's protecting investors, um, he, uh, he's creating more adoption for Bitcoin and, and more wallets are, are created more people buy Bitcoin because he's showing everyone uh, how, how important it is and what kind of threat it is. Um, and what the way I see, you know, then you look at, okay, if they don't want to be like Japan declare Bitcoin a national currency and take taxes in Bitcoin, and they want to create their own sort of digital version of money so that they can control it. I think that what they're doing is, is similar to what, what we said Onero is doing. There is a certain amount of value that will probably always exist in government money. You know, governments are going to want to take taxes in their own money, want their citizens to participate in their own money, whatever they want. And that's, that's their jurisdiction. And uh, we'll all have the choice to, to live in those countries or, or to participate in however we participate, um, whether we feel like it's a choice or not. Um, and then... Yeah. But, but I think that what they're doing is they're creating stepping stones. It's why I loved the idea of Libra, even though I knew it wasn't going to be fully decentralized ever or anything like that. This is, this is a gateway to, to creating more true believers. Um, I joke about this all the time. I was a punk rocker growing up, and you know there was a certain age where if somebody said, you know, what do you think about the Beatles? I'd be like, yeah, they're they're all right, but you know, Bad Religion, that's actually a good band. You know, like, yeah. like I was every I was obsessed, right? And and I still am. But but there's like a certain age where everyone is just like every I love this and everything else stinks. And Bitcoiners are very much that way right now, or at least a lot of them are. And, and it's actually kind of a stupid way to look at it. Um, it because what's going to happen is, you know, there's going to be a band that comes around. And I'll go back to my analogy. There'll be there'll be the the Green Days or not maybe right. not Green Day, but like Blink 182. And yeah. everyone looks at them like that's stupid. That's not real punk rock. They're not talking about protesting. Their lyrics are stupid. Just, it's all a big joke, right? But what will happen is a certain percentage of people who come from watching MTV and loving the stupid music videos from Blink-182 will start looking at the flyers from Blink-182, will listen to their interviews and how they, they loved Black Flag or one of those early bands. And they'll look at that and go, they'll go, whoa, I got to check out that band too. And a certain small percentage will become obsessed and, and go to the real thing. And I think that that's what's going to happen with 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 all of this stuff. The more mainstream there is, even if it's in some government digital currency or it's in uh, some some other altcoin, I won't name names or things like that. But you know, it it will only lead people to want to understand what it really is and what it really can do and the power of it. And in the United States it's marginally better than what we're used to because we're in a more civilized society and as much 
criticism as we have for it, it's still better country to live in than, than most. And so the citizens won't see the value as much as the citizens of Venezuela see. Yeah. And so I think that the more people that get into it, whether it's for the wrong reasons at the beginning, will will lead more people to the light. And I think it'll just create way more opportunities. And, and do you see an opportunity? Because there are many people that get into the world of crypto and many of the people listening to the show are, are new to this space. And They've heard rumors about creating generational wealth. I mean, life-changing money. Um, is the expectations, are those expectations people should set or is there something to be more realistic? I think people should set more realistic expectations. I think that, again, people coming in for the wrong reasons, a certain percentage will, will come in. But I don't want anybody to come in and mortgage their house and, and lose it because they found out that that Dogecoin was going to moon. Yeah. <laughs> going back to what we talked about before we went on air. Uh, but like, you know, I don't I don't want I don't want that. And I don't think that's the right reason to get into it. Um, you know, I. I want people to get into it because of the right reasons. But this is how I look at it when I educate people who don't know anything about the space. Um, I say participate in some way. When we do our big conference in October, we're giving every single person $100 in Bitcoin. Wow. So it'll be the largest, the largest gathering of people who have Bitcoin wallets in the world. That ever. is a Guinness. Have you contacted Guinness for this? But to, to buy, by the way, no, but the we book? need, we need, yeah, we need to, we, we were actually just talking about how we should contact them and you find a way to, to do something. So, so we, we absolutely should, <laughs> but, but the, the idea there is that we're going to then tell people, here's how to buy a burger with it. Here's how to invest it. Here's what to do with it. But when I tell people who are like my friends and family, friends I grew up with high school, whether you're a fighter, a firefighter, a doctor, a uh, accountant, not a techie nerd like me, if, if what I tell people is you take that 50 bucks, 100 bucks in Bitcoin that, that you get, read the news, play with it, see what you can do with it, and this is what will happen. I believe... This or a technology like it will be involved in your day-to-day -day life five to ten years from now in every facet, whether it's work or home. Wow. And if you're one of the people that has had it for the last five to ten years and you've played with it and you understand it, you're going to be first in line to get a job when the jobs require that. And I don't think that going to school is going to fix that problem. I, I'm, I'm obviously – a little uh, uh, weird and non-traditional. So I, I don't believe <laughs> that's that. why we connect by the way. We're both a little odd. <laughs> so like, I, I don't believe, you know, going, Hey, I'm going to take, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to go to school for computer science. I'm not sure if that's the right approach anymore. Maybe, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I'm not going to knock it because I have a bunch of, we have partners at the, at the conference that, for example, teach the, the blockchain certification courses at UCLA and UCSB and, and traditional schools like that. So, so that's wonderful that they're doing that. And I hope that those college students learn about it too, but I, I'm not sure uh, how, how it'll be. But what I do know is that, or at least what I've banked pretty much my whole life on is that the future will include blockchain. The future will include Bitcoin. And you don't want to be the, the person that's looking for a job five or 10 years from now who doesn't know how to transfer Bitcoin or hasn't played with it, doesn't know how to buy a burger with it. Right. So we want to educate people in doing that. And we think that the more people are educated, the more interesting opportunities will come, the more free the world will be, the more transparent uh, the world will be, and the more borderless the world will be. 
And, and that's something that we're very passionate about. Wow. That's, that's why it's council. So how do we find you and some of the things you guys are working on? So, uh, drapergoinghome.com is, is the website for, for DGH. And we, um, list all of our portfolio companies there as we can make them public. And, uh, of course, connect to our, you know, my personal Twitter account is, uh, at Alon Gorin. Um, find me on LinkedIn and, and everything that we do. And, you know, we, and, and, uh, when you go there, you'll see the links to all this stuff, but LA blockchain summit that's happening in October, um, will be really exciting. That's the event where if you go to LA blockchain summit.com slash free, you can get a free ticket and qualify for a hundred dollars in Bitcoin. Um, and all that fun stuff, but, but yeah, follow, follow us. And we, we, if you're a company, most importantly, if you're a company in the space, um, submit your pitch deck on our website, we want to meet you, uh, hopefully before anyone else does. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the Bitcoin.com podcast. Thank you so much for having me and uh, congratulations on so much success and growing this thing. You've listened to another episode of the Bitcoin.com podcast. Subscribe at news.bitcoin.com, where your journey begins.